With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to IFHPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to the Successful Screenwriter Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything screenwriting. Here we interview successful screenwriters and filmmakers to find out just what it takes to make it in the industry. Welcome to the podcast. Oh my God, we have such an incredible guest, you guys. We have on screenwriter Philip Eisner. Philip, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. I'm very glad to be here. So you wrote this awesome film called Event Horizon, which is easily a cult classic and entirely holds up because I actually watched it again today. I've seen this film several times. It holds up, sir. And I just want to kind of discuss the process, how you came up with it, um, what your motivations were and and creating the characters. And we'll get into all that stuff. But before we really get into it, I want to kind of get your origin story of what led up to that big screenplay. Wow. I mean, origin is a, is, is a complicated thing. And, and I think one of the things, you know, if someone's had a difficult life in many ways, the origin story becomes a very clear when you see people that have overcome adversity. And that makes it in some ways easy to understand the events that shape them. You know, I think of, I'm, I'm just taking Oprah Winfrey as an example, because I think her, her life as a public figure is very well documented and just had to overcome um, enormous hurdles on her way to achieve, you know, right. world status where her last name is optional. And the reason I point that out is because my journey was completely different. You know, growing up and born in the 60s, growing up in the 70s, um, being told the world is my oyster and it being largely true family wasn't wealthy, but had enough money to send me to a very good university without me needing a scholarship. And when I got there, I didn't realize that we had money until every single one of my friends was on a scholarship, except me. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, both my parents doted on me and loved me. And by the standards of the 1970s and uh, early 80s, you know, weren't abused. Uh, those standards have changed, but you right. know, nonetheless. And the reason I'm saying all of this is because so everything is 
perfect. I'm a white guy growing up in white guy pinnaclehood. Okay. And yet something is wrong. I don't know what's wrong, but something is wrong. There is this unconscious awareness that life is not this good and that this is a lie. Okay. And that leads you down the path to horror. I discovered Stephen King, you know, in uh, in high school. And I found Stephen King's fiction to be more truthful than the interactions I would have in a private, uh, you know, I went to a, a really, really good, you know, private high school in uh, private school in Texas, which is a great school. Yeah. But everything is, um, you know, and, and again, growing up in Texas, which it, it isn't the South, it's its own thing. Right. But it's the same thing is everyone is polite. Everyone is friendly. And, and it's something that a lot of people on the East Coast don't necessarily get. I think Midwest kind of gets it. But it's like, well, why is everyone so polite in, in the South and in Texas? And it's like, because there's still the vestiges of what used to be called dueling culture. Okay. And that's why you're polite because you don't know who's going to just fucking kill you. That makes sense. So you're polite. You always say the nice thing. There's a level of fear there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never gotten nervous at someone yelling at me in a bar. I have gone nervous when the person who's upset gets quiet. Okay. And then walks out of the bar and then I'm going out the back. Cause it's like, he's going to his truck. Right. And I know what he has in his truck. Okay. No, I'm out of here. Um, so the idea of, of horror, what, what I think draws a lot of people to horror is just, a, a, you're trying to, it, 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 it gives voice. It gives form to sort of nameless dread. Right. And I think that that's something that, I experienced because I couldn't put a name to it. Whereas, for example, my father was a war refugee. You know, my father never understood why I was so into horror. He hated horror, but he lived through the blitz. Right. You know, he lived through the family leave, you know, literally running for their lives in Eastern Europe. He lived through the blitz. He lived through war. He only wanted comedies. I mean, that's what he liked. Right. Because he was familiar with it. Yeah, it's like, wait, I don't need horror. You know, but also to him, horror had a face. Yeah. You know, he knew what horror was. This is horror. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, Dad, it's you, you made, you've made everything fine. You've made this perfect environment to keep the children safe and keep the wolves away and all this. And, 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 but the wolves are still there. Yeah. And then you start digging beneath the surface and it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's two monsters exist. Of course they exist. And we tell our children monsters don't. And then you, then the mean, then it's like, okay, step away from that. And it's like, let's go to Leopold and Loeb. Let's go to Ted Bundy. Let's go to um, the guy who built the hotel uh, for the Chicago World's Fair. Oh yeah. You know, you know, the White City. City. Yeah, yeah. Devil in the White City is the book. Um, Holmes was his name. Yes, yes. Uh, monsters are absolutely real. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I guess at some point, you you know, it's the whole thing of the old Nietzschean thing, you know, don't stare into the abyss because 
the abyss gazes back also and i found i guess around 10 or 13 i've found myself in a staring contest with the abyss and we haven't stopped yet it's like i don't know who's gonna win it's like we're just like i'm like bring it and the abyss is going come on i'm like let's go it's like it's just this constant escalation between me and the abyss and the abyss goes oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah well here here's irreversible motherfucker and i'm like irreversible i'll just watch it like this i don't even have to look away so that's interesting yeah. So you've pierced this veil kind of into almost the society of putting on of, of niceties, of hiding behind this pleasant smile and this false sense of security, which is an awesome way of using horror to talk about that commentary because it, it can discuss it in a fantastical sort of way. And have fun. It doesn't devolve into people going, well, well, that's the advantage of, of this political person because he just swipes away all the bullshit and you kind of go, yeah, the bullshit's kind of what's keeping our culture together. It's what keeps <laughs> society together. Yeah. Like, we kind of need this bullshit. But it's like, but I don't want to have a political argument. I mean, I right. actually, e even now, I have friends who are politically so far away from where I am. And it's right. like, still friends with them. And I'm like, to quote an Altman film, it's like, how can you still be friends with them? It's like, we went fishing together. <laughs> it's a simple, you know, it's as simple as that. It's, it's like, true though. These are, these are, they're it's, people. It's like, right. They're people. They're not just, you know, they, they are it's not like, their political party. They are not their political views. They are people. You just have you. to, you just have to pierce that veil and find the, and find the humanity. And unfortunately, I don't want to get into too much social media stuff, but social media stuff kind of allows more of that false sense of uh, security there where people can say whatever they want and they don't have to worry about, as you mentioned, the dueling culture. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. I remember when Event Horizon came out, it came out to very mixed reviews and one person specifically singled me out and the dialogue, and this was back in the day, and said, if he ever met me, he was going to beat me like a dog in the street. <laughs> what? And again, this is exactly, and remember, this is in the 90s. This isn't in like when, this is, this is pre-Facebook. This was pre-whatever. Yeah, like 97. So this was on his like, he, he was like a an blog? amateur movie. He was like a semi-pro movie reviewer blog okay. type thing. Yeah. But it was, but it was semi-pro enough that, I mean, I, I don't think it was for a paper, but it would got, you know, it was getting it got on your hits. radar. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I sent him my home address <laughs> and said, I would love, so that was me. It's like, he called me out and I'm like, anytime you'd like to meet and discuss my film in the street, I would love to do so. I oh look forward goodness. to your response. He never did. And of course, now it's like, now I'm old <laughs> and, 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 and less confident of my ability to, to, Philip, uh, Philip, the to thing kick is, people's asses. Yeah, but, but Philip, the thing is, I ended up doing that to a guy. I'm not even kidding. A guy, <laughs> a guy called me oh, weekly. Yeah, he called me weekly and would threaten me every day. Like... It was this habitual thing. And I would just listen and then hang up the phone. And then one day, I think I had a bad day. And he called me up and he went through his habitual rant of he's going to do all these things to me. And I said, you know what? You've got my number. I'll be outside waiting for you. Obviously, you know where we live. We're going to do this thing. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> and he never called back. 
So, you know, I, I get it. I've been there. I understand. Yeah. I mean, it does get uh, Pe people it don't does get pe frustrating. Yeah, they don't realize like it's easy to type in critiques to a keyboard. Like I do a film analysis every week. I do it with, with Christy Lee Lassie. We do a film analysis and we analyze the film. We don't critique the film because nothing is perfect. No screenplay is perfect. No movie is perfect. Why sit there and tear it apart? The Shining is perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's a couple that have come really close. Alien with the exception alien is so of, good. Yeah. With the exception of the final shot of the alien where you can see it's like, oh, it's a really skinny guy in a suit when he's right. outside. Yeah. Like that in space. Yeah. But, but literally one shot. Yeah, it um, is good. All right. So Event Horizon somehow sprung into your mind. And I've heard people talk about how they feel it was inspired by the you know eldritch horror of unseen demonic creatures from beyond and things like that was that ever in your mind any kind of a lovecraftian theme when you were oh, building sure. this okay sure i mean so there's a lot of influence on it so the basic idea was haunted house in space okay and i wanted to do literally my my pitch to larry gordon and lloyd levin started off as it's the shining in space Okay. You're like, that's fantastic. I can, I can see that. That's a great pitch. And then they said, well, give us more. And I'm like, crap, let me think <laughs> about it. So I had to go off and, uh, you know, I tend to be a bit of a hard science nerd. Okay. I'm very pleased that Paul put up with me as much as he did when we were, uh, when we were putting the, the film together. Because, Paul, Paul W. S. Anderson, director? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, who's just, he was wonderful to work with, really really gracious, but he would also be like, no, this will be cool. And I'm sitting there going like, but he's like, and there's clouds outside the window. I'm like, there can't be clouds outside the window. He's like, why not? And I'm like, well, that's not a decaying orbit. Then it's actually and, yeah. entering the, it, it's, it's burning up in the atmosphere. Well, he got the clouds. And he would look, <laughs> no, he got his clouds. He got and his clouds. Is, and it does exactly what he wanted, which is I want to evoke these classic claustrophobic you know haunted house films he does yeah like so he's he's making a decision based on a visual and a symbolic yeah and i'm and i'm sitting there being the science nerd going but but it doesn't work that way but you can't do that <laughs> and and i'm i find myself still doing that which is you know but but at any rate to me it was one of those things of like well how how does this happen and then the gravity drive right um became in and, and and still the thing that I always find compelling is that people say also oh, the ship went to hell and it's like if you like well let, let's discuss that i mean because the great thing about so in the shining the mansion is its own entity right and yes and the set piece is a character and very much so in event horizon event horizon the ship itself is a yes. character it is its own set piece which is really difficult to pull off in a film and in a screenplay but obviously you convey that really well and i love the fact that when you you know and, and sure some of this was production based but just looking at the gravity drive it looks like it's from oh. hellraiser you know it looks like it came out of the cube it just looks demonic and i was like whoa that really so hits gorgeous you. yeah it's gorgeous i i wish i'd come up with that that is all all credit to uh I believe the production designer, which is right. Bennett, you know, all hail. I can't take any credit for the, hell of a job. The way it ended up looking. It's oh, it's. 
I remember seeing it and just, you know, my jaw hitting the floor. Like it, it's such a play. I mean, one of the greatest things I'm sure other writers have talked about this, like why so many writers become directors. It's because, you know, that was made might've been good, but it, it, it wasn't what was in their head. Right. But one of the pleasures of being a screenwriter and not directing and not doing anything else is those moments when you're looking at your film or you're looking at, at what they're doing and it's better. And That's they do cool. happen where it's like, I, I, I thought X and Y and Z and they are the, what, what I'm now seeing is exponentially right. more amazing. That's um, why this is a collaborative art, man. You know, that, yeah. that it's not just all us. It's not just all the director. Everybody comes in together and makes this really cool piece of art. And so, so, so you teased me here. So you said, you know, that the event horizon might not have gone to hell. So what is, as the writer of this, what is the interpretation there? Well, my, my attitude here, and and I'm, I'm, and not to do a shameless plug because it's, (laughs) it's not out yet. Plug away, sir. but, 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 But I think, I think the TV series is also, and again, it's, it's not this distinctly, but it's, but it also is riffing on this idea which is the way I always thought of it was that the, the human mind evolved in to experience time and space a very specific way. We experience linear time. Does that mean time is linear? Dunno. Right, of course. In the same way that we say time and space, and as Einstein proved, they're just one damn thing. It's a one thing that we experience multiple ways. You know, okay. we, we experience a four-dimensional universe, and there's evidence that there's a lot more yeah. than four dimensions. Right. A lot of a lot of evidence. Like someone this is an aside, but you may may cut for, for shortness. Someone did an analysis of bee dances, because you know the bee dances, how they communicate. Yes, yes. And no one could ever figure out what it did until some someone who's like got a degree in math and is probably and is crazy enough to do this, which means it's a very advanced degree in math, analyzed the B dances and the B na- dances work perfectly in six dimensions. That's messed up. Yeah, it's just like what the pfft? yeah, but it's like well, if you're a B, you're small, and and again, so there's stuff that's going on that we have no comprehension of. Right. So the idea that you're going to fold space. Yeah that's going to have an effect on the human mind it may not be evil with the capital e but it will destroy the mind okay human brain can't comprehend it i would say it's the equivalent to a if anyone's ever had uh not that anyone would ever do acid or smoke (laughs) marijuana you're talking like ayahuasca stuff here I, i don't know i've heard about such things i personally but the point is that right. anytime, anytime you mess with your head, there's the possibility of a bad trip. This is a bad trip. Okay. It's one thing to see a Gaspar Noé film that's two hours long and you can handle it because you know it's a movie. Mm-hmm. But I think if you were watching a Gaspar Noé film and it was on a loop and it was your reality, gotcha. I think the strongest person would break. Yeah. And that's kind of what 
you know, manipulating space time could be as simple as putting in a lens distortion and giving you nausea, right? Right. Or you start seeing ghosts, you start seeing things from the past, you start seeing things from the future, you start seeing everything. Um, if you treat time as holographic instead of being linear, now you're experiencing everything at the same time. Interesting. So, and you're, and, and it would drive you, it would drive you mad. It would drive you insane. Yeah. Because there's hints in there that uh, the people that are died are still, their souls are trapped in the other dimension. There's, right. there's hints that the event horizon itself is possessed by a different dimension. So it, it's multi layered. Right. And again, it's like, and this goes to the, the thing of the ship being evil with a capital E. Can it be seen as being evil with a capital E? Well, from a human perspective, absolutely. Right. In the same sense that a hungry tiger who is old and learned to hunt humans is an evil tiger to a human. But what's the tiger doing? Right. It's I, doing its I'm job. I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm hungry. I'm a ship. I wasn't sentient. I went through this thing. Now I'm sentient. And oh, there's a feeling in my body and it's, ow. And oh, there's these little things running around me, which are energy right. sources. Oh, if I make them afraid, I, ooh, oh, that feels better. Oh, <laughs> oh, they're all gone. I need, I need more. Where did they come from? Well, I'll go back to where they came from. I'll pick up some more. I'll see if there's some more. Oh, some more came. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, this just, mm, it's yummy in my tummy. This is a great breakdown of Event Horizon from the ship's yeah. perspective. Yeah, no, it's like the ship's not evil. Yeah, you, you heard, you heard Weir. She's beautiful. Interesting. She's beautiful, like yeah, a, like a, you know, she's. It's gorgeous. a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Uh, the, so the Weir character was fascinating because he's a he's a Sam Neil plays him. Yeah. So he's a broken man, right? Who's who. Uh, ignored his wife and she took her. I'm sorry, guys, this is spoilers. If you haven't seen Event Horizon, first of all, shame on you. It's uh, also 19, it was in 1997. <laughs> if you were going to see it, you would have seen it by now. It's so good. It's, it, it holds up. So she she takes her life and that haunts him. And we learn that later on, which is a really nice res revelation. Um, and so where everyone else are tortured by their past, like Lawrence Fishburne and, and uh, right. the doctor and her and her child, him, not so much. He, he's pretty much all in. He kind of takes the promise that the ship offers and almost becomes like a, um, I'd say like an avatar of the ship. Yeah. In fact, I was interesting. I was, I was thinking of, of the shining example and it's like, we have our Lloyd character and our Lloyd character starts off as, you know, this beautiful, mysterious, uh, dead woman. Right. And there's a handoff between the two of them, you know, hand yeah. off, I, hand off, eyes out, eh, whatever, you know. Well, let, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense if he, if he, if, if this, if the shining is the template here, what is the fascination with the eyes? So they're ripping out the eyes. I'm thinking see no evil, but obviously you probably have something more going on there. In all honesty, it's one of those things that, and, and this happens, I think, more than writers will try to admit a lot of times writers will go like well you know obviously toward the eyes out was a was a reference to the edible complex and right I, blah, I was, blah, blah, blah. yeah 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 the the truth is i was looking for a self-destructive act okay 
that would keep him present. He can't kill himself like everyone else. I want him to become the ship. Gotcha. He becomes the avatar for the ship. So he needs to do something extreme. Oh, like an Odin type of a thing, ripping the eye out, sacrificing right. the eye. Oh, okay. Right, right. You know, you know, which is funny. I didn't think of that, but that is actually a symbolic thing that was closer. But a lot of it, you know, again, some of the choices are made literally because they're disturbing. And so it was, it, it had it to works. be, yeah. And it had to be this. And then after I'd already made the decision for him to rip his eyes out, then it progressed from there. And, and, right. and, and a lot of this also comes in the development. So it's like he tore his eyes out, but I think it was Paul who came up with him stitching them up. That's messed up. <laughs> you know? Um, and again, it's through the development process. I don't know if, if where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if that's in the original draft or if that's okay. in a rewrite. Yeah. Um, well, he says that line and then immediately starts playing with the computer console like he can see it, even though he has no eyes. So yeah. the giveaway there is like, yeah, he's already seeing through the ship somehow, which is kind of freaky. Yeah. Well, and also, I love and it's that thing is like, well, does he is the ship letting him see? Exactly. Does he just does he know the ship so well? that he's just, he's home. I mean, and, right. and, and one of the things about horror, I think in, in, in good horror, the, okay, so this is a weird analogy. I, I think if, if someone had to say, what's the difference between a horror film and a thriller film? I would say that a thriller, even though it may have supernatural overtones, everything has to line up. Right, yeah, it's the chase and it's the mystery. Up. Yeah, of course. But it, But everything has to be true, so you can, you can interpret um, Silence of the Lambs through a thriller lens. Makes sense. Or through a horror lens. I mean, my favorite version of, of Silence of the Lambs, it's like, oh, it's an FBI agent who's trying to catch a werewolf, but she needs a vampire's help to do it. That's a great And when you think yeah. of it, well, he, 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 feeds on, he feeds on people's pain. That's why he became a psychiatrist. Right, right. He's a werewolf who's trying to change their skin. No, that's a great analogy. But his, Right. So, well, and it works. But the reason it's a thriller is because everything lines up. This is set in the real world. There's nothing supernatural about it. Right. In a weird way, the minute things can be both things at the same time, where you go, is it this, is it this or that? And the answer is yes. Okay. And, and, and the rational mind is going, no, it can't be one. Right. You know, again, The Shining, it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're instilling some conflict within within the audience and demanding a leap of faith. Well, it's a leap of faith, but also you're pulling the rug out from under how the world works. Okay. You were the caretaker here, Mr. Grady, i.e. I understand what's going on. You're a ghost. And Grady's response. No, you are the caretaker. Yeah. You've always been the caretaker. <laughs> I should know. I've always been here. And then it's like you're sitting there going, ah, oh, that makes no sense. But it is uttered and stated as an absolute fact. Right. And now the audience is like a ghost. Oh, this is the ghost of the guy who killed his, his family. We can get our head around. Yeah. But now, now we're in a we're somewhat paralyzed in doubt. Yeah. And the construction of it becomes very important when, when you try to do, when, when a, if, 
any film, but horror films, I think, are the only ones that that actually make this effort. The horror film does this in the first act. You destroy the film. And the reason you destroy the film is because now things don't make sense and everyone's going like, that's yes. stupid. No, that's, yeah. But if you can delay it until the, into the latter half of the second act, you can start bending. In fact, my, my biggest problem, and this was, and, and, and I really, this is a film that I like, so I feel comfortable giving some negative response. My, my, biggest, my biggest problem with Hereditary, which on one hand is, it, it, it's an absolute symphony of horror. And right. the, the visuals, the photography and everything is so good. But when she threw the book in the fire and her husband suddenly exploded into flame, I was just. <laughs> it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by the successful screenwriter.com where you can find instructional books, videos, courses, and screenplays of Hollywood's biggest hits to download. As an added bonus, visit www.thesuccessfulscreenwriter.com to download the Guide for Every Screenwriter for free. Yes, free. Available exclusively at thesuccessfulscreenwriter.com. Now, back to our show. And, and I had to say that as a writer... Like, even though I loved the visuals that transponded, right. I was lost at that. Like, I, I was completely disengaged in the story. I was now in the, you're making it up as you go along. Right. Because there's nothing here that set up the tie. There was no tie between the book and the husband. No, you have to foreshadow it, man. You have to set it up. There, there, I mean, there's no there's, payoff otherwise. Right. And what frustrates me is, is when I look at when I look at a film that I really like and I'm like, I really wanted to I see films that I want to love. You know, I, I had a similar reaction with The Last Exorcism, um, the, the found footage film, okay. where I thought it was it was as perfect an example of that genre you could have. And then in the last moments, it went for a twist. And I'm like, you didn't need a twist. I didn't need like, why are you going for a twist here? I always wonder if those are like, producer notes, man. I always wonder if those are producer notes. They throw it in like a mean twist and they, and they kind of twist the, um, you never know, you never you know, never but, know. but you're, you're really talking about the psychological aspect of horror, which is great because that needs to be included in a quality horror film. And I think of something like, um, like the lighthouse for instance, um, with, with Pattinson, you know, I mean, that is foreshadowing. It's artistic. It's, it has moments scary and then it shows the de the evolution the, the the devolving of humanity you know in a really great way and then it, and it speaks about all kinds of things about like toxic masculinity all kinds of cool things and and you can throw that into horror and still have a solid script you don't just have to have people tearing people apart um and i think oh, that's what it's... you've nailed in event horizon oh thank you very much that's i mean it's 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 one of the things that was uh and for anyone who's an aspiring horror writer, I don't know if it's in, it's been in and out of print, but you've got to pick up 
Stephen McKean's uh, Dance Macabre, which he wrote years and years ago, but it was his nonfiction book on horror, uh, horror films and horror literature. Right. And it's, it, it is an absolute required reading, but he's talking about his own work. And he says he, his, the, his goal is to create dread. Yes. If he can't create dread, he'll scare you. And if he can't scare you, he's not proud. He's going to gross you out. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you have all the trifecta. Things. No, but it's true. It's like, it's, it's one of the things that I've always argue, you know, when, whenever we get, and this happens in, in any sort of post-production sequence or, 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 or rather once a film is greenlit, everyone is, is rightly so sitting there going, it's one thing to spend X amount of money for on writers to develop a script. But now that we're actually spending money on the actors and the cast, there's, there's a tremendous pressure on everyone involved. And right. so everyone suddenly starts questioning everything. And there's this huge concern that the audience won't get it. And the audience won't understand. The okay. audience won't get it. The audience won't understand. And, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not proud of saying this, and this is probably culturally this uh, trigger warning, culturally inappropriate. My response is always, do we have a decapitation? Do we have gore? Do we have this? Do we have nipples? Do we have a butt? Because the whole thing is if, and I'm using, using event horizon as an example, we have spaceships, right? We have buckets of gore. We have a very sexy topless woman. Yes, she has no eyes, but she's sexy and she's not wearing a top. The people who aren't, well, not the people, the guys who aren't going to get this are going to love this film anyway. Why? Because we're blowing people up real good. <laughs> cool spaceship. Look at them. Oh, my goodness. They're happy. They're happy. Let's not worry about whether they understand it or not. Because by the time you get the kids in the back row of class who are throwing gum at the physics teacher. Right. To understand, you've lost everyone else. So it's not a, a matter of like, trying to dumb down the script or anything like that. It's it's adding elements at the time um, that would increase the appeal demographically. Absolutely. And okay. I, I, well, a great example, actually, and, and this is culturally appropriate. I remember when The Matrix came out. Um, okay. And it was such an event. Uh, when it, it was, was it was filmed, huge. But, Oh, yeah. And so in local L.A., it's actually getting coverage from the lines around the block and blah, 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 because everyone wants to see The Matrix. And they interviewed a guy on local TV. And they're like, oh, so you love The Matrix? He's like, yeah, man, it's my third time. It's just like, this is the coolest film you'll ever. He, so he'd seen it three times. And then the, the reporter goes, so, so what is The Matrix? Oh, man. I don't know. And I'm like, there is a scene in that film. <laughs> There's a scene in the film where Lawrence Fishburne goes, the matrix is a system of control designed to turn a human being into this. And he holds up a battery. Battery, yeah. And they even have a joke in the film, Copper Top. It's like, yeah. they were so, and it's one of the best exposition scenes in history. 
They're just saying, this is what the the entire second act of that film, the first half of the second act, it's 30 minutes of exposition. <laughs> this is what the Matrix is. This is what the room is. That's yep. what that whole Kung Fu, yeah. you know, that Kung Fu sequence, that's disguised exposition. Of course. It's great. Yeah. Here's a guy, and he's seen it three times. What's the exposition? Oh, no, man. It's like, what is it? It's kick-ass action. It's fighting, yeah. It's it's the prettiest man on earth and the prettiest woman on earth in tight black clothes kicking ass. Right. That's So, and I'm not talking, okay, if it sounds like I'm talking down, it's because I am. But at the same time, I want people who are sitting in the back row of the classroom throwing gum at the physics teacher to have a good time when they go see my movie or any movie. Right. So I may be talking down now, but that doesn't mean it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, I'm not making movies for you. It's like, no, movies are really expensive. I want as many people to have a good time. And I, frankly, the only sin to me is, is being boring. Like, yeah, that makes sense. It, like if you make a bad film, but it's bad and it's the room bad, <laughs> pat yourself on the back. You have brought joy to the world. Yeah, because they'll, they'll find entertainment in that. But if you if you write something pretentious that nobody gets and you can't entertain them in the process, then you've lost everybody anyway. Yeah, no, I yeah, get what you're, you're saying. Bored. Yeah, I, it's like I just saw, and, and it's funny because this this doesn't really count because it's intended to be campy. Okay, but one of one of my favorite films um, of recent time. Uh, and, and I admit it, it's like, and it, it's just, it's this big trip down nostalgia lane for me. Psycho Goreman. I just, I my, just interviewed him. Laughed my ass off. It's, it was just so much fun and it was such so an good. homage. Yeah. And it's kind of like, and someone goes like, well, what is it? And it's like, okay. So it's, it's kind of Power Rangers. Yes. Meets, it's Power Rangers meets Guar. <laughs> I, like, I i just had i just had the writer director on the show his name is steven kostansky and um yeah. he described it as absurdly awesome and i was like yes that is your movie that's, that is that is that's totally it, it it's was so just, good it was just fun um so i mean that's a bad example but there are films that are are done i mean that's why i'm like horror films yeah our films are either really scary or they're really funny I think the two the, the hardest genres are are comedy and and drama because if you make a drama and it doesn't land it's boring and if you make a comedy and it doesn't land it's boring. Right. I, um, I if want, you a, go ahead. Action and if it doesn't land that's a comedy. You know. Yeah. No, I could see that. Um I want to ask you something though because sure. a lot of a lot of central characters in films are they always have big huge flaws and they're spending the whole time to get over their flaws and Lawrence Fishburne is a central character uh in in this film he plays the captain he's stoic he's steadfast he's smart he's calm he seems perfect and it's almost like the ship understands that and it's like how do i break this guy and it spends the whole movie really really trying to break him i actually really love that because here we have a character who is strong who doesn't start out necessarily weak but he has a dark secret and i really like how you pulled that off oh that is i mean thank you but i also i have to hand that i have to hand that one to the performer and 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 to paul 
Like they nailed it. And, and, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm, and this isn't from modesty. This is one of these things that happens in production. We had an effect in the script called the burning man. This was yes. Edmund Cork. Right. That, that didn't work. Like the effect just didn't work, which is why when we finally get to see Edmund Cork, you're seeing just a glimpse of him. And it's just the actor in makeup with like some fake fire on him. Okay. But originally, they had, I mean, they built an articulated skeleton and it was going to be sort of a series of, um, uh, they were trying to do a shot similar to, I don't know if you remember uh, from Interview with the Vampire, but when Lestat gets his throat cut, yeah. and there's that pull back around and he sort of, all the blood drains out and he yes. desiccates. Right. And what that was, is that was a motion control shot of several dummies and several, it was, it was a very intricate motion control shot involving a bunch of things to do it obviously this is before uh vfx were, were particularly advanced yeah and the idea was to do kind of the same thing but they had an articulated skeleton that was hollow and had um gas vents in it and wow. so it was so the skeleton itself was a flaming skeleton and that was going to be composited combined with the actor combined with flame elements and we were in production and paul was just came back and I remember when his face was no pun intended ashen and he's like, it looks bad. And he's like, I'm like, what do you mean? The skeleton looks bad. We can't use it. Okay. And it's just, and then it was like, well, you know, maybe in post and he's like, this isn't a post that like he's already thinking ahead. It's like, it's not going, it's not the sort of thing that we'll be able to fix the fundamental issue with this in post. And then it became a thing of, well, we'll have a flash of a guy. Yeah. We can have a guy in the distance in a burn suit. Like we can still have a flaming person rising out of the water. Yeah. But we can't do any of the close up. You know, we can't, you know, suddenly it's like all these things that we had, we had to change around. And so were you doing an onset rewrite then? This was the change they made. Um, I was on set for maybe the first week of production. Okay. Um, and then I was hanging around doing like set revisions for, I was hanging around, but um, Andy Kevin Walker came on and did, a, you know, a, a polish, which, you know, he didn't get credit for, but he did like some really great stuff. Okay. And then they had me rewrite him because they wanted a continuity of voice. They that wanted to make sense. sure the characters were the same. Yeah. So I, I wish we, I think they're very cognizant of, of, her egos, et cetera. I wish I'd been able to sit in the room because Andy Kevin Walker wrote seven. And when you said there aren't any perfect films, uh, that was, that was the third on my, my list. I think seven is actually uh, a perfect film. Cool. Um, I don't know why none of the perfect films I mentioned are comedies or romances. It's, uh, I don't know. Why. They're perfect. Yeah. They're perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I would have loved to just like, you know, he's rewriting your film. It's like, good. It's Andy Kevin Walker. Go. Right. Do your thing, yeah, man. of course. Can I, talent, can I, can I watch talent. you rewrite my film? <laughs> no. um, but, uh, but that particular beat, um, I was not on set when, or rather, I was in set when we found out it wasn't going to work. Okay. But I wasn't there when they found the solution. And, and I'd I, I flown out and they were doing edits and I was coming up with some wild, wild dialogue. And there was a beat in, in the rough edit, which is actually in, in the final film. And it's when, 
you know, this used to be a thing of where you actually see the Burning Man. But now it was like Miller's walking through the corridors and he just hears Cork's voice like, help yeah, me. that was good. Help me. Don't leave me. And then he goes, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. And he leans his head against the bulkhead and you have that. Yeah. They have quick cuts. And that, you know, it's that thing of, you know, I wrote the script. So there's so many of the jump scares. I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, that's coming. That yeah. Worked. Ooh, yeah. that's good. That one kicked me out of my seat. Awesome. That one, I, I was literally one of those, like, you know, the Monty Python routine of the, the wee, they just yeah. fall out of the chair. I was like that. <laughs> I was so, and, and I'm not a huge fan of uh, jump scares, like, to rely on as like, ooh, we gotcha. That one was a jump scare, but it was so rooted in character. Yeah, it was unexpected. And, and again, right, and it was brilliant, and it came from the fact, you know, it's kind of like, you know, again, our shark didn't work. Yeah. And this is an advantage of like, well, maybe it wasn't such a bad thing that the shark didn't work. It made it even better. Yeah. Because it's like, once you, you know, again, the more you see the monster, the more time you have to see the zipper. Exactly. Oh, my God. What a great point. I love that. So are you working on converting Event Horizon into a TV show? Is that what's going on? I am I am not involved um, okay. in the adaptation. There is an adaptation going on. Uh, I'm spacing on the name of the guy who's doing it. Okay. But uh, if you if you IMDB him, his current writing credits are like the Matt Reeves Batman film. Oh, cool. And he's got directing credits also out the wazoo. He's okay. wildly talented. And um, I, I have been told his take. And his take is mind blowing. You know, it's one of those things of, there's that thing of, you know, there's always that thing of like, oh, I want it. It's mine. Yeah, it's your baby. And and can't I? Then he's like, well, he's doing this. And you're like, oh, oh, holy fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Do that. That's, it's really, really cool. So with all of these, it's like, it's, it's, you know, good, good film, good television. It's it's weird to say this is an atheist, but it's like, you know, great te- films and televisions are made by God. And it's okay. like, you're an atheist. It's like, yeah, but if they're made by God. It's like, you know, you can do everything you can to make your films yeah. not suck. Right. Like, all the craft goes into making them not bad. But making them great that's hard to control. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when, when I think of like, what's the most amazing moment, cinematic moment, you know, in the past 20 years, I'm like, Oh, that's easy. It's the portal scene from, from Endgame. And some goes like, you know, what makes that the most amazing scene? It's like, that's a decade. Yeah. It's 10 years of payoff. That's a decade of film. Absolutely. Right. Building up towards this moment and it works. Oh Yeah. So works, especially, I mean, obviously for everyone all over the world. I mean, this has been, um, you know, what would, what did the queen say that when you're anno horribilis, it's like, this has just been like 2020. And oh yeah. Still Come kind on. of in it. Yeah. Was like, it was the worst. And I would find myself not watching in game, not going and watching it. My copy, I'd go to YouTube and I'd look up, 
in-game portal scene audience. Yeah. So I could watch. Oh, wow. With, and just remember, because I remember seeing it in the theater. First of all, it started with the hammer. When he picked up the hammer, dude, come on. Come on. Come I mean, on. So first of all, people were standing. My audience, and I was one of them. We're just on our feet. Oh, yeah. I was and like, then, like yes. <laughs> and then we settled down. Fantastic. And then it was, you know, and, and after that, it's like, that was the only time I think until. Oh, oh, and then then the portals. But then after the portal scene, the reason there weren't more people standing up all yeah. the time is because we, we'd be up and down like, like yeah. you know, like popping up. But it's just like, Clint give it to me and it's like yes yeah like every single moment it's it was so just, good well i mean you got sam saying to cap on your left and then he flies in and oh. you're just like oh my god this movie is beautiful yeah no i'm yeah. i'm 100 yeah. yeah. with you oh and mr we're geeking out <laughs> and then i got all dusty and then it, yeah i'm gonna start crying if i, I do the whole no, thing it was so good dude yeah oh, all right I, so, did you get to see wandavision yet no i all haven't right. no I spoilers well, I you can binge, binge it now. It. It's out. You I know. Need, I know. You need to binge it. it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but and but, then message but I'm me after on the expanse. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm catching up on the expanse now. See, so it's like, I'll tell you, the it's wonderful so being good. able to. Oh my god! Yeah. So I, 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 I had to. I, I had to buy I, the books for my wife. Do they have the graphic novel? I think they do, don't they? No, no. I had to buy my See, wife. Had to buy her nine books. <laughs> Well, it, 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 as long as they're well written, I mean that's great. Oh yeah, they're that's the most important thing. I know because and, and it has an ending. Yes, that's like if you say nine books, it's a nine book series. I'm like, oh, you know, fuck you. You're just <laughs> this is someone who's just like padding this shit out. It's like I'm not going down that road again. You know, well, she's deep, like she's deep into it, man. All right, all, all right. right. So, so we got distracted for most of the episode. So. <laughs> Was there was there a Lovecraftian theme specifically? Did you work in stuff from Hellraiser? Were you? I mean, you were influenced by The Shining, which is now that you say right. that obvious, and I I can't believe I never even caught it. Which tells me how good you were at making this thing original. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and answer yes. Um, so Lovecraft, the the whole the horror that happens off off the page right you know it's all about the human reaction uh but i've grown up reading lovecraft uh, you know one of the weird things that's when people have uh, asked me is like you know your description of space time and how it drives people crazy it's it sounds a lot like warhammer 40k universes like that an influence and i'm like or cthulhu not directly <laughs> well but the thing is it, it is cthulhu it is warhammer but warhammer 40k is influenced by lovecraft and Warhammer K Warhammer 40K, I believe. I mean, I have the 1987 original Warhammer 40K rulebook. Wow. I wargamed for five years, you know, playing Warhammer 40K. Uh, I was I did Eldar and Chaos Marines. My, you know, that my, was, my those kid, were my contingent. My kid plays uh, Space Wolves. Okay, there you go. There you go. So, so when you talk about influences, it's like. The influence, the influence was absolutely there. Did I make a conscious lift from 40K? No. Did I make a conscious lift from Lovecraft? Yes. In the original script, there was a vision of going through the gates, and it was a sluggish, oily sea with tentacular creatures gotcha. uh, under a red 
you know, a dying red star. Gotcha. You know, so it was, it was Lovecraftian in that sense. There is uh, Hellraiser. Again, I'd seen Hellraiser. I didn't think of the box. Right. Did it. But when we went into the development of the script with Paul, we were screening Hellraiser. And, and he was saying, the box, the, the, this box, you know, our drive needs to be like this box. It needs to, the limit right. configuration, it needs to unfold and move. move. And I was like, that's a good. And my response was, you know, I wish I could say, oh, yes, and it will be a sphere with spikes. <laughs> but my response was just like, it was like, cool. It's yeah. like, it's, it's a thing that does a thing. Awesome. Guys figure it out. And of course, they come up with what they come up with. Um, but he's brilliant. He's done know, a ton of work, man. Yeah, he's uh, like from from the laser grid uh, chopomatic on up. Paul is 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 he's just he's fun. He makes fun movies, and uh, it's one of those things that that I don't think people say a lot or enough about directors. He is one of the nicest people to work with. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. All right, so you you have partnered up with Greg Hurwitz, and you guys I are co-writing. You guys are co-writing. What are you guys working on right now? Uh, so, well, now now we're doing uh, a revision on our uh, our spec script Sabine, which we sold to Screen Gems. And oh, cool. We have Jesus Colmenar is attached to direct, and if you don't recognize his name immediately, he directed uh, Money Heist on wow. Netflix. Well, congratulations. And he, is, and he is the shiznit. He's great. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So so that's what we're working on now. So we're sort of we're collaborating on our collaboration. But yeah, Greg and I Greg and I actually first worked together. It was a we worked on a rewrite for the Thomas Crown Affair 2. Oh, which didn't get made. And, okay. and what happened is, is, is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spacing on who wrote the rewrite. Okay. Um, this is like a writer thing. So this is like, again, inside into the industry, they had a fantastic rewrite for the sequel. Okay. They did not need any dialogue. They did not need any story. They approached a bunch of writers to pitch ideas for how to punch up the heists. Okay. They felt the heists were too, you know, again, Loki, you know, well, not necessarily hokey, but it's a thing of, you know, the, the writer whose name I can't remember is fantastic with character and he's fantastic with story, but he's not necessarily an action guy. He's not necessarily keeping up with the latest sort of technology. Gotcha. He's not a hacker. I'd written, you know, my first script was a cyberpunk script. So I was all up on, you know, hacking and freaking phones and okay. doing all kinds of that technology. Greg's, you know, uh, super smart about the, the human engineering of how to get past right. different things. And, and what happened is, you know, I pitched something and they talked to a bunch of writers and then the exec on the, uh, Jeff Kleeman, who's, uh, super smart guy. And, and in all honesty, one of the only people I can think of who could have done this because if anyone, he is just a, a master at dealing with ridiculous egos and, and anyone who has been able to survive in Hollywood has a ridiculous ego. Um, it's, it's, it's a requirement. 
because because if you didn't you would just go like ah oh, this is bullshit <laughs> you know you know so you you kind of have to have blind spots where your ego is concerned anyway jeff goes like and it was specifically to us he's like you know i really like this version of that you pitched for that heist and i like this version that greg pitched for his heist would you ever be open to collaborating that's cool and 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 my response was what any screenwriter's response would be was like well well how much <laughs> how much are you going to pay me and but then you know we got in a room together and and part of it was because we were working on something that wasn't ours and greg and i just had a ball we had a That's ball awesome. working together guys set it off it, yeah and and we became we became like legit friends after that and one of the things was but then we didn't work again together for years we were just friends we'd hang out right. and do stuff and um i i have the 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 honor and privilege of being an early reader for orphan x so oh, i know cool. what's going to happen like two years before everyone else does <laughs> you know <laughs> and i'm not telling a soul i'm not worried about greg but 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 evan scares the shit out of me so i'm gonna just uh, awesome so i so i can't tell um and then what happened is I was writing a script. I'd come up with this concept, Sweet Girl, and I'd written the first act. And I sent it off to Greg, and I'm like, what do you think of this? And it was the first act. And then it was like a second act, third act, like notes of what I was going to do in the second and third act. Cool. And he said, can, can, we, can we meet for lunch? I don't want to say this over the phone. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he hates it. Yeah. And I came in and sat down and was like, we're having a lunch. He's like, so here's the deal. The first act's brilliant. I think it's really brilliant. That's cool. Where you go with it from here, we'll turn it into, you know, a, a, another brilliant Philip Eisner writing sample that's too dark to get made. Interesting. It's too brutal. And you're making choices. And I'm like, cool. Oh, so what, what do you do? And then he pitched me a version of my idea that kept all the themes there with this completely different twist. And I was like, wow, that's really, you know, and I was that's like, awesome. wow, that was good. It's that's a good friend. Good. That's, that's, that's great. And it's commercial. And then I paused and I'm like, do you want to write this with me? And he looked at me to the side and I'm like, here's the deal. I know me. I will take your idea. I will start writing this and the story's going to curve all the way back around to what I was doing. It's like, because what you're pitching me is, is different enough that there are elements here that are not instinctual to me. Yeah. And his response was, I was really hoping you would say that. Cause I think this would be a lot of fun for us to work on together. Aww. And that was it. And that became sweet girl. And we got it to a producer who got it to Jason Momoa and that was a slam dunk at Netflix. So and Jason Momoa is attached to it now. Yeah. Oh, that's well, no, amazing. It's, it, yeah. it's oh, been yeah, shot. It's posted. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. It's in posted Netflix. So I had Greg on the show and actually that's how we got to meet luckily. And um, I saw the book of Henry and actually really enjoyed the book of Henry. I thought it was a great film on how to blend different genres together and then kind of break the mold. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things where, 
you know, when you're, you're seeing it, it's like this brilliant satire and, you know, it's a satire on Spielberg films and people were evaluating it as a Spielberg film or just as a straight homage to Spielberg films. And it's like, you know, not getting it, but, but Greg, Greg actually told, told me an anecdote from that, which just really drives home to me the, the role of, of screenwriting and, 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 and the role that you play in the process of making a film. So I, I guess in his original script, which he wrote years and years ago, there was like this big speech and it's, it's the speech. I think that the mom it's either before the boy dies, it's before she chooses not to kill. So that's you know, at the, that's like, at the end. So it's like expositional yeah. where she's like, you're just a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Exactly, but it was it was one of those things where it was a speech that really encapsulated her entire character, her relationship with with Henry, all of this, and uh, and it was in the original script. And then he works on it with the director, and they're doing drafts and drafts, but always this speech gets worked and reworked and reworked until it's shining with a T and then he's, he's on set mm-hmm. and they're filming it. And Naomi Watts. Brilliant. Right. Naomi Watts does the scene and she does the speech and it's, it's perfect. It's better than you imagined it. it it's everything you want it to be. And uh, when she finishes the speech, this look comes over her face and she glances away. And then she glances back to her eye line and the director leans over and goes like, well, we don't need the speech anymore. <laughs> and the speech is not in the film. Oh, he just wanted the moment. Sometime, well, no, the director didn't know that he just wanted the moment, but, but it's one of those things that sometimes, and it's like, if the speech wasn't there, the moment wouldn't be there. Makes sense. But sometimes all you need, but it's like to get to some of these things, takes dialogue and construction and all of these bits. But then when you're putting the film together, it's like, you don't necessarily need it. I mean, Morgan Freeman's notorious for going through his scripts going, I can do that with a look. I don't need to do that. I don't have to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for somebody who says that you have to have a pretty big ego to work, obviously it's incredibly self-reflective to know you that well, to be able to be open to receiving those notes and then inviting him to work with you on notes is absolutely incredible. Um, And I'm really excited to see this thing. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that, that happens is that, that if you, if you're confident in your ability as a writer, you're able to put your focus, it's not on you, it's on the work. Everything's on the work. Um, I also work with, I, I actually have two writing partners because I'm a whore. And- uh, <laughs> It caught me off guard. Sorry. <laughs> Good, go ahead. Well, well, I'm a whore because, you know, you know, you get paid. If you get paid, you're a whore. Right, so it's like, I got it's, it. <laughs> I, it's, one of those, it's one of those awful things. People always go like, you know, when I'm teaching, people are like, well, I don't want to sell my vision. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sell out. And I'm like, that's the this point. About screenplays. Why the, why are you here? You're here to sell out. You're here to sell your craft. Yeah. You're, you know, any writer is getting paid to do something they would do for free. 
It's true, right? man. So yeah. it's this thing of you're, you're here to sell your craft. You're not looking to get married and you're not looking to give it away for free. Yeah. You're looking to be a well-kept courtesan <laughs> who's paid for their time. You're paid for the time to do your craft. That's the goal. Philip. So, thank, so anyway. Thank, <laughs> thank you for being on with us. This has been an absolutely <laughs> incredible conversation. I really appreciate all of your insights and honest takes on the industry and some amazing tips. And it's just been absolutely incredible, sir. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share in your social media 